Welcome to the NPO Media Podcast, produced by volunteers with the National Alliance on Mental Illness, New York City, Staten Island Chapter. This program is a community service designed to help tell the stories, struggles, and triumphs of individuals and families living with various brain disorders. Opinions expressed in the podcast do not represent those of the National Alliance on Mental Illness. In this episode, I interviewed Kyle, a young Chinese-American college student who shares his personal experiences and goals. Kyle, perhaps you could introduce yourself to our listeners. I recently graduated College of Staten Island, CSI for short, and then I'm interested in applying to Master's of Art in Clinical Mental Health Counseling at CSI. So what inspires you to go into mental health counseling? I guess having like a previous experience in mental health myself, I think I had a major depressive disorder when I was like 16 and along with PTSD and then a couple of panic attacks when I was like 20. And then right now, I guess I have bipolar disorder or schizoaffective disorder. I'm not sure which one yet. So I guess I could empathize with other people that has like mental illness and, you know, I just want to help. Well, you know, I respect that. Kyle, how old are you? I'm 23. Can we talk about when you first discovered or suspected you might have mental health issues? I had major depressive disorder. I guess that stems from like something that happened to me when I was like eight years old. Like my brother's friend came over and started like, he like pulled down my pants and then like molested me. So then I didn't know what happened until I was like 16. So then when I was 16, then I guess I realized what happened to me and then I couldn't like uh, accept the fact that it did. And then I thought I was weak and I, I couldn't defend myself. So I dropped out of school for like a few months. And then I was like in the home tutoring program. Basically, I won't miss my studies. And then, you know, my therapist at that time thought I had like a PTSD. But then I don't really feel anxious or whatever when I think back about that incident. I just get angry that I didn't do anything to defend myself. That's got to be a terrible feeling, and I'm sorry you had to go through that. Is your family aware of what happened? Yeah, I mean, me and my family, we talk about everything, so. So how did you come to find out about NAMI? I think I was, like, searching up support groups on Google, and then I found NAMI online, and then there was, like, the information thing at one of the locations, so then I attended and that's how I got started, attending these support groups. And can I ask, how do your friends respond to the fact that you have some mental health challenges? I guess they are accepting, but then, you know, they're, they're guys, so they like to joke around sometimes. And, you know, I have a really thick skin, so I don't really get offended by, like, their jokes or whatever. And I find them kind of funny, because if you could laugh at your own disorder, then, you know, I guess it, it makes you have a farther future in life. I agree that having a sense of humor is important. So how do you feel about therapy? The therapist I'm seeing right now is actually, um, I like her quite a lot. She does a really good job. What are some other kinds of things that you find helpful? Well, in the past, I just relate, resorted to uh, watching television and going to sleep. And I feel like that wasn't helpful because the next morning I would still like have these thoughts and feelings like the sleep and TV just distracted you from those feelings. You didn't face them. So recently I've been trying to uh, write down all my thoughts and 
feelings uh, like whenever and I'm, I'm in a hot moment I just take out my iPad and start like writing everything and I feel like that helps because it helps me like organize all my thoughts into like a sentence format and you know after writing I feel like better than just like watching TV and going to sleep well that's a good point so thank you for sharing that so going into mental health counseling is there any specific area of interest that you have addiction and i had addiction when i was 16 like i resorted to like gaming and that wasn't like effective at all i ended up spending a lot of money to play the game and i could go into this like a lot but it's very interesting to think about like addiction but then no one really thinks about online gaming addiction which is like coming up in the dsm and i'm sure as with any other type of addiction it consumed all your time and did interfere with your life as well right yeah. According to research, if you're a gaming addict, you basically like neglect your hygiene and then you make up excuses just to continue playing gaming like you justify it and stuff like that. And I feel like I qualify for all like the criteria of online gaming disorder. It's a problem when your physical and your educational aspects of your life start declining. Like you're spending too much time gaming and that you neglect your homework and then your hygiene and stuff like that. That's when it becomes a problem. The intense disruption of your personal life notwithstanding, I have heard said that online gaming involves other people, so there is some sort of a social network there, so it's not as isolative as one might think. What's your take on that? But with the social aspect, I guess it does like justify it a little bit. If you're a, like let's say you don't have friends in school because you don't have like good social skills. It's easier online if you're just facing a screen and then just typing out like whatever you want to say to your friends and they don't judge you. They just like play with you. Yeah, you make friends online and they don't know who you are. Basically, you get to reinvent yourself as the character in the game. I was playing with like um, people that I just randomly see and then I guess I joined like a group to like do quests and stuff like that. And then I ended up spending, like, a lot of money just to, like, impress them, like, with all my gears and levels and, like, stuff like that. Basically, the recognition that I didn't get in real life, I got in gaming. Yeah. So your strategy now, is it to just avoid all types of online and interactive gaming? I mean, I relapsed, like, a couple of times. Like, every time I quit, I would, like, um, discard all my items and, like, everything and delete my account. Like, just to, like, rip it off, and then I will have these, like, cravings. Like, I want to go back. So, it happened, like, three or four times, and I ended up spending more money to compensate the character that I built. Yeah, and then, I don't know, I guess, like, maybe, like, fifth or sixth time, I, like, ended it completely. Yeah, I realized that it doesn't really uh, make me happy. Like, even though I'm, like, really high level and, like, do a lot of damage, it doesn't make me really happy, like, in real life. Yeah, I don't really um, game much. Like, even if I do play games, it will be games that are not really, like, um, time committed. Like, basically, you play, you lose, and that's it. So what would be your message to listeners if they or someone in their family might have a gaming addiction? If you're just, like, spending too much time on one game and you're not going anywhere, like, you're remaining stagnant and, like areas in your life is like uh, declining, I would say that you start to realize this problem. And once you start to realize this is a problem, then you talk to like have a good support system to like um, talk to someone about it. 
before we started recording, you mentioned that you got involved with the crisis text line. Can you talk about that a bit? Yeah, it's basically if texters are in crisis, they will have to text the number 741741, and then it will be prompted to talk about why they're texting in, like what's the purpose of their texting and like what's their crisis today. And then they will be like assigned with a texter, and then we will try to like move them from that hot crisis moment to a more cool and calming, relaxed moment. What type of training or preparation did you have to do before you could become involved with this? So since we're a crisis line, we would have to ask the texter if they ever thought about suicide, and then the training tells us that we should be directive. With this questioning about suicide, because we don't want to like assume anything. Research says that if you're directive with this questioning, it would lead to more honest response. It's necessary to risk assess directly because you don't want to like regret not asking that question directly if something does happen after. For people that are texting, they're doing that anonymously, right? Um, yes. Then we would ask for like a first name. I know it can be difficult to directly ask someone if they have suicidal thoughts or plans, so I'm glad you touched on that. In my experience, being involved with Nami, a frequent theme that comes up is resiliency. What's your feeling about that? I feel like people nowadays like not resilient enough. I guess they get triggered by like everything now. Like basically anything that bothers them shouldn't be like allowed. That they shouldn't have to like face any of these triggering moments, I guess. But we live in the world. You can't like hide yourself from like every triggering moment that you face. And I feel like people should like develop a thicker skin towards it. And like the thicker skin you have, the further you go. And that leads me up to my next topic, which is social media, which I've discussed with others on this podcast. I'm curious what your take is on that. Social media is like, um, I guess, a good way to like be up to date with like your friends and family. But then most of the stuff they post is like, uh, like on Facebook, like it doesn't really monitor like um, most of the posts. So there could be like fake news and like fake stories. So people should be aware of that. Like always look to the bottom of the link to like see if there's like, basically if that has research backing it up. And then for Instagram, people post stories about like traveling and how they're always eating something nice or going to someplace expensive. You know, that's not really the reality, but people just post it, and I guess some people aren't aware that it's not realistic, and then they believe it to be true, and then they compare themselves with these celebrities, and then they feel bad about themselves. But you know. It's. I'm just saying it's not realistic, and that basically, if if you have an Instagram account yourself, you would want to post all the good stuff. Don't believe everything you see on social media is like the main message right now. That's a good point. So basically, take everything you see and read with a grain of salt. I know people that are, in fact, affected by the things they see their contemporaries posting, feeling that in some ways they may have failed in certain areas because they haven't reached successes or milestones of others. I mean, it could be real. Like if you see people like graduating on time and stuff like that, and then you compare yourself like, oh, why didn't I graduate on time? But I, I feel like if you're slowly increasing, even if it's just uh, incremental, if you're just like slowly increasing and progressing and you're not remaining stagnant, you should feel proud of that. Everyone's success shouldn't be like measured by age. 
there are people that are 84 that just finding their success and then um, I guess just enjoy the journey and just don't think about the end. Kyle, prior to starting the podcast, I know you and I discussed some experiences and beliefs and the cultural implications of those. So can we talk about that now? Well, in my culture, I wouldn't say like it's something religion, but I would say like it's um, the Chinese folk culture that dates back to like, I guess, like ancient Chinese civilization, because Buddhism is like normally practiced is doesn't really involve these. But Buddhism within this Chinese culture does include all these like beliefs and like stories about ghosts and stuff like that. If you could go into more detail about this and also how it affects your thoughts about mental illness. I'm kind of like somewhere in the back of my head, I'm thinking that maybe I don't have mental illness because I'm not like diagnosed yet. But I'm feeling that maybe there's um, ghosts in my house that... um, so in my culture, ghosts are like um, beings that are filled with negative energy. And then when they're around you, you will have these thoughts of like um, sadness or like anger or, you know, um, hatred. So these beings are filled with these negative energy because they died earlier than they're supposed to. So they probably killed themselves or like they probably got like murdered or whatever. Meanwhile, they're supposed to die, like, if they're supposed to die normally, it would be, like, at a much later age. So these beings, if they want to have a chance to reincarnate, they would have to, like, find a empty soul or vessel. So maybe, like, if they're trying to, like, make you kill yourself, so then they could take your spot and reincarnate, they wouldn't have to dwell in that until they reach their normal death age. So let's say someone died at like age 17 or 18 by suicide, but then they're supposed to die at age 78. That would be like 70 years that they have to dwell within this plane. But if they convince someone to like kill themselves, it's kind of like a reduced sentence in my culture. They don't have to wait that 70 years to like reincarnate. They could just take that empty vessel that they found and then they could like reincarnate and like live again. Can you recall how old you are? When you first experienced this presence? When I was like 16, I kind of like made a deal with whoever was listening to me because I was at the basement, like at 3 a.m., closed all the lights. And then I was like meditating and then I felt a presence like staring at me. So I came to terms with like the molestation and whatever at that time. So when I saw the presence, I made a deal with whatever was like staring at me. I was like, if you give me the strength to like kill that guy that molested me or kill myself, you know, then I would like uh, gladly like give up my personality or soul or whatever. So then after that incident, I started having like paranormal experiences. Like there would be like books in my room that falls like randomly. There's like no one at home. And then there would be like a knock on the bathroom door. Like when I was like taking a shower and then I've seen like three-dimensional figures that's not part of our realm that's just there looking at you and then you know I see like two-dimensional figures in the walls and the ground and stuff like that if I like look closely so I feel like sometimes I just get mad over like the smallest things maybe these presents are here that's uh, affecting me negatively and I I kind of had like um backup on this theory because I have dreams and then and sometimes when I'm dreaming, I could like control my dreams. And if I control my dreams, if I can't control my dreams, that dream would be like a uh, paradise. 
But if I can't control my dreams and I'm inside like hours plane, but then the plane is like all dark and black and the lights don't work. And if you look out the window and you see nothing but a black void, then you're probably in the bad place. And in the bad place, there was a guy that talked to me. He was like, if you don't want to be in the bad place or if you don't want to, uh, I, I see that you're having like uh, these like uncomfortable feelings all the time. If you kill yourself, I guarantee that you could be in paradise. Like you get to control everything. Yeah, so you could get you could have like a Lamborghini, you could live in a big house, you could have like whatever you want. I could get into the master's program that I really want to get into. Basically, everything in your life goes as according to plan if you're in paradise. And that guy was like telling me that could happen if I killed myself. Well, I have to be honest, that sounds really terrifying. And on the other hand, I take comfort, and I'm sure the people that love you take comfort in the fact that you didn't listen to those instructions and that those things that you describe as paradise are things you can achieve living. Yes, that's very scary, I guess. But since I see these things and I encounter this thing like all the time, it's not as scary anymore. And then if you're in a bad place, you can't wake up. It's kind of like sleep paralysis. The way I got out of it is like I use like sheer willpower to get up. And then I think one time I got up, there were still like three white hands grabbing onto me and I like ripped them off. And then once I ripped those white hands off, there was like evidence that there was like a fingerprint that's been grabbing onto my arm for like a long time. Yeah. Maybe this is not all pseudoscience. Like a show once mentioned that maybe that all these talks of like ghosts or whatever it could be like pre-science because back then like people look at the eclipse they had no idea what was happening but once science like determined what it was it wasn't like a phenomenon as it was seen so maybe if we do understand like what i'm seeing or experiencing like if we do understand that that could become science and we could make sense of it well the workings of the human mind are indeed fascinating yeah it's fascinating i mean like I mean, it's just, it's not just me that encounters this. Like we were once in a hotel room and I sensed that the hotel room in Singapore had like something dwelling inside of it. So when we left the hotel room to go out and eat, and then we tried to go back into the hotel room after we were eating, we couldn't get in with our key card. And then we contacted like another person like that works there to use their key card. And then that key card didn't work. So then he used like a master key, which also didn't work. So then they had to like call this tech guy to come in and like recode the whole um, door lock. And that's how we got back in. And I was like, this presence or whatever is probably like not probably doesn't want us to uh, dwell in that room. So but then my parents didn't like believe me. So uh, when we fell asleep that night, my mom had like kind of like the same dream where this old man was grabbing her and trying to pull her under the bed. And so she was struggling. And then my dad saw her struggling. He wasn't dreaming. He was awake. He saw her struggling. So she, he woke her up and saved her from being dragged down. So my mom experienced this, these things. Uh, my dad had like experience when he was in his 20s. There was like one time he was like fighting something and he accidentally punched my mom in, in his sleep. Yeah, so... I don't know if it's like hereditary, but I guess it does run in the family, maybe. That's a good question and one that I hope science can one day help us understand better. Can we just recap some of the important points you've made in our conversation? 
Uh, I guess like the highlights of this conversation should be develop a thicker skin and not be offended by like everything. Find a coping mechanism that works for you and don't believe everything about social media because, you know, it, it could not be true. Um, and, you know, be directive about like the concept of suicide because you don't want to regret like not asking it directly. And also like if you or your loved ones experience like internet gaming addiction like seek help like professionally or like find a support group that deals with this um because it could be as serious as um a substance abuse addiction thank you for making those very important points now turning towards the future where do you see yourself in five years in five years from now i'll hopefully become a full-fledged therapist on my own like after i complete all the hours that i'm required to and hopefully i'm like Helping a lot of people, you know, feeling good about it and liking my job. If you don't like your job, then, you know, I mean, like, it relates to my life. So I, f I feel like um, I would be passionate about going to work every morning. Well, Kyle, thank you very much for taking the time to speak with me, giving me your trust and sharing the way you did. I'm sure you have a wonderful, bright future and that you're going to touch and improve many lives. Thank you for having me.